Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Well, I'm just so glad that you're here this morning, and I'm so sad that my mustache is not. So, <laughs> yep. This was the week. This was the week, Josie. Uh, yep. Okay, that's enough, because she's going to get a big head. This is the week where she came to me, and she's like, honey... She's like rubbing my arm, and I'm like, hey, babe. I'm like, you know, and she's like, no, no, no. The mustache has to go. So this morning I shaved it off, and I, I love you too. So Lisa, that's enough. So anyway, so I'm sad. Hope you're happy. So hope you're happy. Isn't that just what marriage is all about? <laughs> I'm sad. Hope you're happy. <laughs> just dying to ourselves so that our wife will be happy. So Good. Well, I am a topical preacher, always have been. Uh, I, I like to shout and spit and go from Genesis to Revelation and give you as many Bible verses as possible from as many different places in the Bible to strengthen you and encourage you and, and teach you life application. But those of you that love Bible teachers, every once in a while, I'm going to throw you a bone. And today is one of those Sundays. Today, I am going to teach the Bible. And I know that's going to be hard for me, but I do it kind of like my wife. When I shave my mustache for her, I'm going to teach the Bible for you people that like the Bible taught line by line. Because I'm a lover, not a hater. I'm just here to serve. So this week, I've been wrestling on the theology of Jesus. That's sort of just kind of what, where I was going and um, just the characteristics of Jesus as Lord of our lives. The funny thing with that word Lord, it doesn't work in 2022, and it doesn't work in a democracy with a president. Like, we just, we don't think in terms of lordship. In, I mean, I, President Trump would have loved to have been Lord of America, but uh, we, we just don't think in terms of, of Lord. So the word Lord is obviously an older word, and it means to be the ruler, or if it was the master, and often the ruler would, uh, the Lord would own land and would own the people. So he was the owner. Um, sometimes the, the, the Lord would be considered the king in a, in a, in a monarch, under royalty, the, a superior one. Um, if, if somebody was set up um, in authority over a region, over a land, they would be the Lord of the land. And when we as subjects would call somebody Lord, it means we are humbling ourselves. We are bowing our knee and we're putting ourselves under the authority of whoever we are calling the Lord. So to say that Jesus is Lord, it means we are subjecting ourselves to him. We are bowing our knee to the Lordship of Jesus. And I was reading through different scriptures this week on the Lordship of Jesus, and, and one of the most beautiful pictures that highlights many different characteristics of Jesus as Lord is actually Psalm 23, the psalm about the Good Shepherd. Now, I know that it was written in the Old Testament, so it was written before Jesus, but I, I think we could all agree that King David, when he penned Psalm 23, he perfectly highlighted and clarified the Lordship characteristics of Jesus. So today, we're going to go line by line, word by word, through Psalm 23, the story of the good shepherd. Now, ironically, Psalm 23 is usually read at a funeral because uh, it's just something that everybody knows and it helps when you're going through a dark time. And Psalm 23 is actually the single most memorized psalm 
in the Bible. If you're going to memorize a psalm, a whole psalm, you're going to pick one that only has six verses and is easy to memorize. So it's the, it's the most memorized. It's really easy to preach Psalm 23. Now, if, you ever, if you've heard me preach Psalm 23 before, it usually means I'm stepping off of an airplane from a missions trip somewhere, and I got in at 9 a.m. Sunday morning, and I walked into church, and I didn't know what to preach, so I just opened to Psalm 23 and was winging it. Today, I'm going to teach Psalm 23, and I actually wrote like eight pages of notes. So if you had like a lunch date, you might want to text them now that my preacher is teaching, so it's going to be a minute. Because um, I have tons and tons of notes, because I just, I just totally geeked out and nerded out and cross-referenced and looked up definitions. And it, I, was, I was just loving getting into Psalm 23. So today, we're going to go line by line, verse by verse, word by word, through. So get out your Bible, uh, open the Bible app, flip to the, the English Standard Version, the ESV. Hopefully you got a paper Bible. Get out a notebook, open a fresh blank note tab in your phone, or just start bringing a notebook to church like our forefathers used to do. Now, actually, I lied. Before we get to Psalm 23, I am referencing Jesus as Lord. I am referencing Jesus as the Good Shepherd, which in the New Testament is literally something that Jesus said. John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd. Jesus said, I, I am Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. And here's the irony. Just leave that verse up for a second. Shepherd is like the lowest job in the ancient Middle Eastern world. It's still the lowest job in the Middle East. It was for the social outcast. It was for the, the poor. It was for the undereducated. And, and Jesus could have said, I am the good king. I am the good ruler. I am the good rich guy. I am the good commander of the army. And Jesus said, no, no, I'm the good shepherd, and you are my sheep. He humbled himself even to be a shepherd. So as we go through Psalm 23, I want you to picture Jesus as the good shepherd. Now you can flip over to Psalm 23. Um, for those of you that don't know, this was written by King David. Uh, probably when he was king over all of Israel. So he was the most powerful guy in his world. Now, a little bit about David, if you don't know anything about his story. David was the youngest of the family. So he was the, the poorest of the family, if you will. So David was the shepherd for his family. They lived in Bethlehem. And if you, Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem, which is basically all the way towards the bottom of inhabited Israel because south of Jerusalem was desert. It begins the Negev Desert, so uh, it's a, just a hot, dry, Middle Eastern, deserty place, and that's where um, David would take the family sheep out. And now the interesting thing about Bethlehem, as you go south, if you were to also turn to the west, it, it begins what's called Wadi Kelt. Spoiler alert, that's going to come into play later on. So we're on the edge of the desert, and we're on the edge of Wadi Kelt. Let's just start right there. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup 
it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23. If you haven't ever memorized it, I strongly encourage you to do so. Let's go back to verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Other translations say, I have all that I need. And notice that King David said, he is my shepherd. He went ahead and made this intimate. He made this personal. King David was the most powerful man in his world, but he's humbling himself before God and saying, Lord, you are my shepherd. Notice that David didn't say, Lord, you are my kingdom's shepherd. Lord, you are Israel's shepherd. Lord, you are the world's shepherd. No, he's saying this is personal. This is intimate. The Lord, he is my shepherd. I am his sheep. I know I'm the king of Israel, but I am his sheep. He's the one who cares for me. He is the one who protects me. He is the one who provides for me. I would be nothing if it weren't for my Lord, the shepherd. But did you, did you notice that you're my Lord, therefore I have all that I need. You are my Lord, therefore I don't have any want. Too often in church, I see people that have a financial problem. They have want in their financial lives. And I know that we met the need of a few people today, but they have lack in their life. They have need in their life. People come to me all the time. And usually, not always, but usually you don't have a financial problem. You have a lordship problem. Because for those to whom the Lord is their Lord, he is the one who provides all that we need. And that's true, I'm just picking on financial, that's true when you face any trial in your life, examine your life because if you were to zoom out of the problem and look at you and look at the situation, is Jesus in that scenario? Because so often we face trials apart from the Lord. Because Psalm 23 is all about the fact that it is the Lord who is our shepherd and he is the one who leads us through difficult situations. Why? Because then he can get the glory in the end and that we would not live in fear. So the absence of Jesus' lordship in our lives is the beginning of all the problems that we face. Now, I don't know about you, I am famous for making a little life molehill and turning it into a mountain. I think it's part of human nature. We all are. We see a molehill, we focus on it, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and all of a sudden we've turned this molehill into a mountain. But then when you step, step back and you compare your molehill to the lordship of Jesus, your Lord gets a lot bigger, your problems get a lot smaller. Why? Because Jesus has the victory. So remember, lordship means we're surrendering to Jesus. He is the shepherd, we are the sheep. We are surrendering to his authority. We're surrendering to his leading and to his guiding, which reminds me, another spoiler alert, foreshadowing, of like two ox or oxen that are yoked together. And it's that wooden yoke that holds them together. There is no problem in being under a yoke as long as you're not trying to go in a different direction. Are you trying to sit down? Are you trying to turn around and go back? As long as you are submitted to the one that you are yoked to, life is easy and is actually much more powerful. That's pretty good preaching, wasn't it? But so often we find trial and struggle and pain in our life because we're trying to go a different direction than where the shepherd's trying to lead us. And we get into fearful situations and we get overcome with fear and anxiety, but we forget that we have the Lord who is sitting right next to us. He is the one who is yoked to us. 
So if, and often, I don't know about you, again, this is just picking on me. When I get into a problem or a situation in life, I'm usually trying to look for somebody to blame. Craig, he's not, yeah, I'm not alone. The rest of y'all in church are liars, but that's all right. Craig and I know the truth. We're always looking for somebody to blame. When usually the one to blame is the one who's fighting against the yoke. We're the one who's fighting against Jesus being Lord of that area of our life. People are like, well, pastor, I'm just trying to figure out God's will for my life. I've got this friendship. I've got this person I'm dating. I'm having this marriage trouble. I've got this person at work. I'm just having some relationship problems in my life. Pastor, I'm a student. I'm just trying to figure out what I should be studying in school. The answer is Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. Whatever the problem is, the answer is Jesus. If you have a need, if you have a problem, you have a lordship issue. You just need more Jesus being Lord over that area of your life. He is looking for us to surrender to his lordship, that we would humble ourselves, and that we would be sheep in his flock. It's not difficult. It is sometimes hard, but it's not difficult to just be one of his sheep and let him be the shepherd. Let's move on to verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, this is interesting because when I was, uh, I, I grew up in the Maryland area right side of Washington, D.C. Um, yes, I know that our football team is a dumpster fire of professional sports, but um, that's okay. You guys are Cowboys fans, so. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So, um, let's go Lions. The point is, we were um, pastoring in New Mexico for a number of years before moving to Texas, and I had never been to a rodeo. It was pretty cool. And you sit there, and early in the rodeo, the, uh, the, the calf runs across the rodeo arena, and then two cowboys go chasing the thing down on horses, and they rope that thing on its horns, and then the other guy ropes that thing on its feet, and then they flip it upside down and tie it off and tell PETA that's not animal abuse. The point is, they take that thing under submission. But then halfway through the rodeo, and if you've ever seen a rodeo, it's the cutest thing in the world, little kids, like toddlers, go riding out on sheep. Little boys and little girls, they will ride a sheep like, like they're riding a bull. It's, it's called mutton busting. It is the cutest thing in the whole wide world. And, it just, they, and they feel so big and brave and strong when they ride that sheep all the way across. But every once in a while, a sheep will buck off the toddler, and then the, the sheep wins. And that's just kind of sad. It's cute, but it's sad. One of the things I noticed, though, is the older kids, like the elementary age kids, they would ride the sheep, they'd cross the finish line, and then just like the guys on horseback, they'd take that sheep, they'd flip it over, and then they'd tie that sheep off. They would make that thing lie down. Sometimes we need to surrender and let the Lord make us lie down. Because if we're running into trouble, the Lord's trying to flip us on our back and make us lie down. If you're running from God, stop. Because he wants to make you lie down in green pastures. Now, I love about thinking about green pastures, this whole concept of green pastures, because we picture like beautiful rolling green hills and thousands of little white sheep and, you know, King David is out there writing songs and it's just this beautiful, lush, green place. This is New Zealand. This is Wadi Kelt 
outside of Jerusalem. This is the green pasture. That would, we'll edit that together. It's going to look better in the YouTube. This is where David was literally feeding his sheep. It only rains for about two months out of the year, and the rest of the year it is hot, dry, windy, dusty, Middle Eastern desert. Now, by the way, for those two months, like January, February, these, all of these turn bright green, and it's, it's a sight to behold. But that's only two months of the year. The other 10 months of the year, it looks like this. It's dry, it's hot, it's dusty, it's not flat, it has all these deep, uh, Gorges, wadis, ravines. This is a green pasture. When King David was thinking back to his youth, this is what he wrote. The Lord leads me through a green pasture. And you're like, I don't see a lot of green pasture. First of all, do you see all of this down here? And you see all these little black dots? That's the green pasture. Go ahead and can you guys zoom in on this area right here? Do you guys see these lines? Those were cut into the rock by the sheep and the goats that walk along those hillsides. In fact, King David himself could have literally walked his sheep on these hills and these goat, these goat paths along these little skinny, narrow paths. You might think, how could this possibly be considered a green pasture if there's no rain for 10 months? It's easy. God gave the land the dew, and the dew settles on the rocks, and the dew drips down the rocks, and those little, I mean, they look black on the video screen, but those little bits of water create that little bit of grass. So what does that mean for a sheep in this ancient landscape? To be fed, the shepherd has to constantly keep them moving because there's just a bite here, chew, 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 and swallow. There's a bite here, chew, 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 and swallow. It's not an all-you-can-eat buffet. It's just your daily bread. And the sheep have to trust the shepherd, that he is the one who knows where the green grass is. He is the one that knows what path to lead them on. It's all a lordship issue. The sheep is surrendered to the lordship of the shepherd. Are you surrendered to the guidance of the Lord in your life? It always just blows my mind when people that call themselves Christians will take a job without praying about it. Young people will go to a college, university, trade school without praying about it. You'll, you'll just date somebody and not ask the Lord about it. Some of you are dumb enough to get married and not ask the Lord about it. Where you should live, what house you should buy, what apartment you should move into, what car you should buy. You're buying a used car, you should ask for the guidance of the Lord. Because some of them are lemons and he knows. It always cracks me up and we've been down this road before that you will name your child without asking the Lord what the, the Lord wants to name the child. And you just make stuff up. I won't make fun of anybody because I might say something I shouldn't and then I get a nasty email. <laughs> if Jesus is the good shepherd and we are his sheep and he is our Lord and we are submitted to him, can we just act like it and act like he is in charge of guiding our lives? Because I'll also say this about he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. A sheep will not lay down until their belly is full and they feel safe until their belly is full and they feel safe. So many American Christians never lay down spiritually because they don't plug into a church long enough to get their belly full. 
They don't go to a church and build relationships with other Christians so they never feel safe because they're not involved in a small group where people know I got your back. The Lord is my shepherd. I am dependent on him. The interesting thing about this, we never grow out of our maturity and spiritual wealth that we are no longer dependent on him. We only grow deeper in dependency on Jesus. Let's move on. The second part of verse two. He leads me beside still waters. That's Wadi Kelt, just outside of Bethlehem. You see a lot of water in that picture? But King David said, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still and quiet waters. Sometimes the life of faith is one that is blind trust. We're just trusting that God knows where the water is that's gonna nourish my soul. I don't have to always know everything. I'm just gonna trust that he's leading me. And sometimes life is hard, and sometimes I might go to a place where I'm not sure, but as long as I'm near to the Lord and I'm yoked together with him and I am a sheep following the voice of the shepherd, I'm never going it alone. If you try to go through your Christian life alone apart from the Lordship of Jesus and apart from the other sheep, you will die. The sheep in the middle of the flock is fine. The sheep by itself gets eaten by wolves. You're like, well, I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty capable. Yeah, you are smart and you are capable, but your wisdom, your intellect, your talent, your skill, it is nothing compared to the greatness of our God. He leads us to still waters, even in a dry and dusty place. He knows where the water is. You know what's so funny is that when there is water, obviously it all flows down to the bottom of the, of the gorge. So the wadis can go from dry to raging river, just like that, because of you know, a rainstorm that's 20 miles away. You know what's so funny about sheep? They're so dumb. I love that the Lord calls us sheep. They can literally drown if they try to drink from rushing waters. They gag on the water because they just stick their whole face in the water. A sheep has to stop and only drink from still water. So if, if the water that you are drinking from feels rushed and stressful and anxious and it feels like you're drowning in life, Jesus did not lead you to drink from that. In fact, Jesus said, if you'll come to me and you're weary and burdened, I'm gonna give you rest. So just take my yoke. I should do this for a living. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle. Jesus said, I'm humble in heart and I'm gonna give you rest for your soul. The Lord is asking you to be yoked together with him. And he said, don't worry about it, I'm pretty strong. The burden I'm gonna put on you is light. Remember the yoke of the oxen? He is inviting you to be yoked together with him. He is strong, he knows where to go, and it's gonna give rest and strength for your soul if you will trust him. If anything, after the last two and a half years, we need rest for our soul. So many Christians, they feel depleted spiritually. I would also like to add where we drink from. Jesus also said in John chapter seven, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Not Netflix, not the bar. Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, a river of living water will flow within you. So if you're thirsty, I need you to drink from the Holy Spirit of God. It'll strengthen you, it'll refresh you, it'll give you peace, it'll pour out his power on you. 
All right, I'd love to hang out here, but we gotta move on for verse. Some of you are like, hey, there's six verses, let's go, let's go, let's go. I, I warned you, I had a lot of notes. Verse three, the good shepherd restores my soul. I looked at the word soul because I didn't know if the Lord in Hebrew, he was just thinking like our mind, our will, our emotions, because that same word soul can some mind, sometimes mean my, my whole soul, and it does. In this particular application in Hebrew, he's saying the Lord refreshes all of my life. He restores all of me. So then I, as long as I was in my Hebrew cross-reference, I had to look up what did the word restore mean? And it, the word means to make like new condition. He restores, like you're restoring an old car to like new condition. Why does the Lord need to do that? Because sometimes life wears down our car. Sometimes life wears down our tires. Sometimes life wears down our paint job. Sometimes we need our soul to be renewed by God. He restores us, he refreshes us, he renews us. How? like a river of living water throwing through our bodies. I'll never understand how Christians only come to church a couple times a year. You never have, you're never in the body shop long enough to get restored. I need to be in the house of God. Maybe you are so, such a super special, amazing Christian, you can come here once or twice a year, dude, rock on. Get on with your bad self. Me, I'm, I don't have enough faith for that. I need to be in the house of God every time the doors are open. I need to be in his presence in worship. I need to be studying his word, listening to his word as a job. I need to be preaching his word. I need to be in a small group talking with other people, you groups, where you're growing together. I need to be around you people. Why? Because this whole process restores my soul to like new condition. So if your soul or your life has been feeling depleted, you just need more Jesus to be Lord of that area of your life. The second part of verse three says that he's leading me in a path of righteousness. That I can understand. I don't understand when he says, for his name's sake. What? What does the sake of the name of the Lord have to do with my path of righteousness? Do you remember when we zoomed in on that little side of the mountain that there was those paths that were cut into the side of the mountain? The shepherd chooses which paths his sheep are going to graze on because the shepherd knows, look at that like labyrinth maze. The shepherd knows where that path is headed. He knows if he's leading his sheep off a cliff, he knows if he's leading his sheep towards water or away from water. A good shepherd knows if he's feeding his, if he's leading his sheep to a place where they're going to feed on more grass or away from grass and it's just a dry, dusty place. And then the sheep are going to be malnourished. And then when he tries to sell the sheep, his sheep are malnourished, so he's not going to make as much money. Or he's the guy that ran his sheep off a cliff. Or he's the guy that ran his sheep out into the desert and there was no water and they died. The name, the reputation of the shepherd is tied to the path that the sheep chooses. So the Lord, he will always lead us in a path of holiness and righteousness. It's our job to choose to surrender to him and follow it. And I warn you, if you look at the side of the mountain, it's not a big, wide, open road. It's a tiny, little, narrow path. It's not always easy, but if we will trust the Lord, we will not end up sick and broken. We will end up blessed and fed and rested and restored, and we're gonna make Jesus look good doing it. God's ways are not always safe, but they are always good. 
There is always a wider path, but it leads to destruction. So stick with the narrow path and trust the shepherd to lead you on that path. And then of course, you guys, those of you that are Jesus people, you know where I'm going. Matthew chapter seven, you can enter into the kingdom of God through the narrow gate because the highway to hell is broad. Some of you are singing that song in your head right now and we know what road you're on. (laughs) The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide. It's easy to go to hell. It's a lot harder to trust the shepherd to lead you on a narrow path of holiness and righteousness. Nothing is worse than saying that you are a Jesus follower and then continuing to live in sin. If you say you're a Christian and you love Jesus and he is your shepherd and then you continue to get drunk, you continue to get high, you continue to look at porn, you continue to sleep with somebody you're not married to, you continue to lie and steal and get angry and flip people off. If you continue in sin and say you're a Christian, you make Jesus look bad because his name is tied to the path that you walk on. So what should I do? Follow the path of righteousness or stop saying you're a Christian and making God a liar. Let's move on to verse four because I'm all hot and hostile now. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's one of the most poetic verses in the entire Bible. And a lot of you were today years old when you found out that Coolio didn't write that. That was a joke for a very specific age group. Now you guys are playing it out of your head. Some of you have no idea what the rest of us are talking about. It's gangster's paradise, Coolio, never mind. Look at the picture. This is Wadi Kelt. This is right outside of Bethlehem. This is where Jesus, I'm sorry, this is where David took his sheep. It has these steep ravines. And then it's the Middle East, it's hot. But you go down into the, you can't even really see in the valley. It was dark, it was cold. These walls shoot up on each side of you. You feel trapped. It can be a scary place. And King David said, even when I walk, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the shepherd is with me. You're never alone. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're never alone. You plus Jesus is the victory. It's when you walk through the valleys of death apart from the lordship of Jesus, you're gonna get eaten. Can I also just say this? It's the valley of the shadow of death. It's only a shadow. You don't have to be afraid of the shadow when you're walking with the one that is the light. Can I also tell you this? If you're just worried about, I'm so worried about death. I was in a plane the other day and I did one of those ka-chunka-chunkas and I heard people go, (gasps) like they just gasped and they're about to say cuss words if it didn't like level out. I'm just playing solitaire. Like nothing ever happened. Why? I'm not afraid to die. Why? Because Christians will never experience death. Christians will never experience death because Jesus experienced it for us. One day this bag of meat and bones will stop, the heart will stop beating, but you will go from life on earth to eternal life in his presence. You'll never experience death because Jesus experienced it for you. 
So sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but it's just part of the faith walk. We're just going from one place to another. The valley of the shadow of death is not our destination. So therefore, we don't have to be afraid because we're just passing through and we're going with our shepherd. Just trust the shepherd and don't be afraid. If you're afraid, just get closer to the shepherd. He is close to us, or at least he should be close to us, so we would have no fear because he is close. If you're having fear, get closer. If you're like, I just don't hear the voice of God. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep, they know my voice. So if you're not hearing the voice of God in the valley, just get closer and listen to his voice. I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. There is a manifestation of the presence of God that can only be experienced in a valley. Now, to be clear, God doesn't create the evil. God doesn't create the darkness. He is light. But he does want us to trust him, that he will lead us through a valley. And then in that valley, in that dark place, he will reveal himself in a way that he cannot reveal himself on a mountaintop. He will lead us through, and then he will receive the glory. The longest way through a valley of your life is apart from the lordship of Jesus. There is a shortcut to every valley in life, and that is this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my shepherd. He is good, and he would never leave me alone. So when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, the second part of verse 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, there is a debate about what they meant by the rod and the staff, most scholars looking at, you know, biblical art and uh, artifacts of that time, that they actually think it's one stick with two different sides. The stick side was thick, and the hook of the shepherd's crook was the other side that he could hook the sheep with. So the rod side King David knew as a shepherd, he would sometimes have to beat an enemy over the face with that thing. And don't forget that it was David that killed both the lion and the bear. And then he is referring to the Lord as the good shepherd who carries that staff, meaning that Jesus is not some limp-wristed, mamby-pamby, kumbaya, you know, renaissance painting kind of a Jesus. He was a shepherd, I mean, he was a a stonemason and a woodcrafter. He was a a carpenter in the Middle East and the ancient world. Jesus was pretty yoked, and he was a brawler that likes to fight the enemies of his sheep. He will defend you. He will protect you. He's not afraid. Jesus is not afraid. I know that sometimes we face things in our life that are afraid. We get laid off from a job. The doctor gives us a diagnosis. We might lose a relationship or we might lose something in our life that hurts us and we're afraid. Everything we face in life, Jesus is never afraid. So one one side of that thing is the the rod. That's a weapon. The other side is the, the crook. That's for me. That's for my discipline. That's for yanking me by the neck back close to him when I'm trying to lead myself, when I'm trying to walk away from God, when I fall into a pit, he uses that shepherd's crook to grab the sheep by the neck and pull us up out of the pit. By the way, you won't end up in a pit if you just follow the leading and guiding of the Lord. Why does the shepherd need to have this tool? Because a sheep has zero defense mechanisms. What's a sheep going to do? I mean, till 
That's, that's their only defense mechanism. They have no teeth to bite. They have no claws. They're very slow and clumsy. They need a shepherd and they need one another for protection. That's good preaching. I feel like I'm preaching better than you're amening. Verse five. I'm oh, sorry, I'm not preaching, I'm teaching. So then people don't amen pre- uh, teaching, right? It's just kind of, I should sit on a stool with an iPad. Don't say, yup, that's not, I'd never do that. <laughs> you prepare a table before me, where? In the presence of my enemies? It's like, what? You're just like, oh, I'm going through this dark valley of the shadow of death. It's dark, it's cold, it's scary. I see wolves all around trying to eat me, but it's okay because I'm with Jesus and he's got that big rod, he's got that staff. I feel comforted, my faith is in him. It's like, come on, come on, Jesus, let's get out of here. Let's get through this valley. Let's get up to the next mountaintop. And then Jesus like, hold on, hold on. He breaks out a card table. He puts out the little like picnic cover and he gets out a little, he's gotten candles lit. He's breaking the bread and pouring the wine. And we're like, JC, can we get out of this valley? Because I'm so scared of this disease. I'm so scared of this anxiety. I'm so scared of this addiction. I'm so scared of this thing in my life. Why you want to sit and eat in the presence of all these enemies that are trying to kill me? I remind you, Jesus ain't scared. So there's no reason for us to be afraid either. He wants us to sit down at a table in the presence of the enemies and have a meal together. What happens at the table of the Lord? There is nourishment and there is fellowship with Jesus. Some of y'all need to stop running and sit down at Jesus' table and eat your daily bread. He will feed you. He will nourish you. He will look you in the face and tell you how much he loves you. Why? Because it embarrasses the devil to do so. Because there is nothing the devil can do about it. He has no right or authority to come to that table and mess with you. So just trust the shepherd. The devil hates when you spend time in the presence of Jesus. So when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death and Jesus pulls out a table and he's like, let's have a picnic right here. Your response is to pull up a chair. When the worship team starts leading in worship, pull up a chair in his presence. When I open the word of God, you should come prepared with your Bible or your Bible app and your notes ready to feast on the word of God. Pull up a chair and dine and be nourished. And what what do I need to do? Nothing. Sit down and eat. Just be still and know that Jesus is Lord. I'm telling you, if you're far from God today, Jesus has prepared a table for you. And he has invited you to sit at his table. Now, I warn you, that table will be set in the presence of the enemies that have been trying to attack you. But so often, we put our focus on the enemies and not on the shepherd sitting at the table. And then sadly, we define our situation in life because we're only looking at the enemies around us. Instead, we should be putting our eyes and our focus fixated on Jesus, that even in a scary situation, our situation will be defined by the Lordship of Jesus. Focus on Jesus and the enemies will fade away in the background. As a pastor, as your pastor, I get so sad. When people come to Josie and I and they're like, hey, well, we're going through this difficult situation and all they can do is tell us about their enemies. Tell me, what, is, what does Jesus look like? 
Are you sitting in his table? Are you dining with him? Are you eating him? Are you listening to his voice? Because he's telling you, I love you. I'm crazy about you. You're amazing. And I'm going to make the devil listen while I tell you how much I love you. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Verse 5, second part says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. There's obviously two things going on right here. First of all, 10 months out of the year, this is a very hot, desert, dry, windy climate. Skin needs a little lubrication, a little blistex on our lips, a little lotion on our skin. And the presence of the Lord Jesus will heal and restore our lives. He'll pour out his power on us. And you also have to remember when David wrote this, the anointing oil was for kings and priests. When David wrote this, the anointing oil was only for kings and priests. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, John says that it is the Lord Jesus that has made us kings and priests. So the Lord wants to pour out his anointing on you, on your life. He wants to pour out his Holy Spirit power, his gifts, his presence, signs, wonders, miracles, healings, all into your cup until your cup overflows. More than you can handle to the point of overflowing. That's more than enough. So if you're living in any area of lack in your life, you need to move closer to the spout where the glory comes out because the Lord will fill you to the point of overflowing in your life. He wants to pour out his anointing in your life. Now, some people are like, that sounds messy. If you're living a Christian life that is neat and clean and pretty and perfect, you do not have an overflowing cup of the oil and presence of God. Because in my experience, when people completely surrender to the lordship of Jesus and he pours out his anointing oil to the point that it overflows in their life, life can sometimes get messy. When people get healed, people get delivered, people get set free, the joy of the Lord pours out so much on people, it causes them to shout and sing and dance. So if your Christian life is neat, your cup is not overflowing. Hop up on your feet while we do verse 6. Surely, and there was a whole thing on the word surely, but I skipped it because I knew we'd be running late on time, so you're welcome if you're hungry. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord, Jesus Christ, is a good shepherd, and if we will follow him, there will be, I'm the sheep, I'm following the shepherd Jesus. There's two angels that are gonna be following me all the days of my life, goodness and mercy. They're gonna be following me. Now the word I did look up and I had to squeeze in here was that word follow. It's actually kind of a bad translation in English. What he means is pursue. The word in Hebrew is radaf. And it means we think that goodness and mercy are gonna follow us, la ti da, we're just following, no, no. It means I'm gonna chase you down and overpower you. Goodness and mercy are chasing down the sheep of the Lord's pasture. If your life is lacking goodness and mercy from God, you're probably not following the good shepherd. Finally, last point. King David says, Lord, because you're my shepherd, I will dwell, I will live in the house of God forever and ever. And ever. There is an eternal promise that heaven starts 
now. Sometimes you're like, well, when I die and go to heaven, heaven starts now. Literally, Jesus' message was that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Literally, Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. On earth, what's the phrase? As it is in heaven. Heaven starts now. First Peter, Pete put it this way. You guys were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. If you're here this morning and you're watching online and you would be honest, the Lord Jesus is not your shepherd. He is not the overseer of your soul. He is here this morning and he's looking for lost sheep. Jesus said that a good shepherd, if he's got a hundred sheep, but one of them has run away, he'll leave the 99 in safety and he's gonna go and chase down the one that got away. I think there's a lot of people in church in America that are the sheep that is running from God. And you might think that you know better, you might think that what you're following and what you're chasing after is better. I'm telling you, if you'll just stop running, there is a shepherd that is chasing you down. Everything in your life, your heart, your joy, your peace, your finances, your relationships, your job, your work, your school, everything in your life hinges on the Lordship of Jesus. His presence, His power, His anointing, His blessing, His favor, His discipline. Don't resist the shepherd's hook when he's trying to discipline you. His discipline, all of it stems from the Lordship of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you are, just being honest, not in right relationship with the shepherd. Today is your day to repent of your sin. Stop running and return to the Lord Jesus. It might be the first time you've ever prayed a prayer to get right with God. It might be the first time in a long time. Either way, Jesus is, he's here this morning. He's like, dude, come on, come on back. There's no fear, there's no anxiety. There's no scary, lonely, depressed places in the presence of the Good Shepherd. There's, there's freedom, there's joy, there's peace, there's restoration to be made like new. There's blessing, there's favor when you're near and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. If you're here this morning or you're watching online, even if you're watching online, I, I can't see you if you raise your hand, but God can. If you're here this morning and you wanna pray that prayer, I can't pray it for you, but I can help you. I can lead you. If you believe it in your heart, you pray it out loud. I can help you surrender your life to the Good Shepherd. So if you're here this morning and you need to get right with God, it might be the first time or the first time in a long time, would you just shoot your hand up real high? Just be brave and shoot your hand up and say, Preacher, pray for me. I see your hand. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. Is there anybody else? Just shoot your hand up real high. I see your hand. Good. Is there anybody else? Good, 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 good. Yay, God. All right, three people will raise their hand. What about you at home? I know it's just you and YouTube. Just raise your hand, you and God. Just say, I need to get right with Jesus today. If you believe it in your heart, why don't we all pray this together? Say, dear Lord Jesus, I surrender to your Lordship. I wanna be a sheep. I want you to be my shepherd. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for running from you. I surrender to you. 
Lead me and guide me. Protect me and provide for me. Be the Lord of my life. I submit to you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. In Jesus' name, if you agree, say amen. Hey, three of you and you at home, I'm so proud of you. Man, I'm so proud of you. Golly. Yay, God. Yay, God. Yay, God. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'd like our prayer team to come down. I'd like our worship team to come back. If you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer, I want you to write your name or your initials on a light bulb and screw it in on the Jesus wall. If you're watching at home, we've got this wall over here that spells out the name of Jesus in LED light bulbs. And each one of those light bulbs is somebody that just like you got right with God. So would you text the name Jesus? to 817-405-2244. Now all that does is send an auto response text back to you with a form. Please, I'm asking you, fill out that form, click submit. We wanna begin to pray for you. We wanna begin to encourage you in your walk with God. We wanna put your name on a light bulb and get it screwed into the Jesus wall. Everybody that's made a commitment to the Lord Jesus, either for the first time or the first time in a long time, needs to be baptized in water. So go ahead and sign up to be baptized in water. You can do that on our Connect page or just grab any usher. If you're here in the room and you know that today's your day to get baptized, make it public declaration, then grab an usher and say, I need to get baptized. We've got shorts and t-shirts, we'll swap you out and we'll put you under to your bubble. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.